It's, it's all right. It's fine. Yeah. Thanks, so. So Jesus has just had that amazing encounter with the sinful woman who, as we've discussed, maybe we should just call her the really forgiven woman. And that was earth-shattering picture of justice that was given to us, a picture of, of grace uh, that was given to us. But what's interesting is in Luke's gospel is how much ink he gives to women all throughout his gospel. And at the time, this would have been somewhat scandalous that women are given such a prominent role throughout the gospel as it does occur. And we continue, though, with a bit more on that in verse 1 of chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And interesting in that the scandalous nature of the inclusion of women in the proclamation of the gospel and being able to see the gospel spread could have caused some hearts to be hardened even before Jesus came upon their town or village. Seeing him arrive with both his disciples and women, learning from him, women also in tow. And because the effect of this could have, in a sense, caused some with pride to shut down and lose all receptivity to the gospel, Jesus then gives us this story. He says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky soil. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables. So that, and now he quotes from Isaiah 6, 9, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked off 
by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. And so Jesus gives us one of the parables that we love the best. Why? Because he explains it the best. It is explicitly laid out. We don't have to say, well, I think that this represents, and you know, and you always have your friend in the Bible story who has some sort of cockamamie scheme of what these different things represent. And you're like, oh, I wish there was an answer key to this because I know it's not that. And, and this one has the answer key. Hallelujah. No, the, the, the seed on the, on the path you know, does, does not represent, you know, babies who cannot hear. It's not about that. It's about saying, you know, so we, we, we can kind of dispel any of the creative ideas that some might have in trying to interpret this, uh, th- this parable. But at the bottom line of it all still is something very powerful being brought to us. And basically the idea here is, is that the sower scatters seed. Uh, probably more literally, he broadcasts seed. And so when you, when you think of this idea of, of broadcasting seed, and especially if it's a wheat or a barley crop, you know, there would be the basket and the sower, you know, as in that Van Gogh painting that, that was up just a moment ago, the sower would be broadly casting the seed in all direction. The more dispersed it is, the better the, the uniformity of the crop, the less the chance that he's going to waste seed with big glops coming here. Uh, but it's also quicker that way. If it is a, a bit too uh, spread out or dissipated by that kind of broadcasting, you can always go over an area again and, and do it that way. However, it was typically the case in Palestine in the first century that you would scatter seed first and then later plow over it. Matter of fact, I'm going to try that this year with my grass. I'll let you know how it goes. But, but, but since that, that's the case, you don't always know the quality of the soil because it's not been tilled before you begin broadcasting. And so you broadcast all across your field. Some may turn out to be rocky soil. Others might, might be soil where, where later thorns are going to come up. Uh, and then, then, of course, you know, what might be forming a path for, for animals or others that might uh, end up walking across that field, you don't, you don't really know at the time as you're casting all of this seed. But nonetheless, the Word of God is cast broadly. All of us, as we sit here, have easy, easy access to the Word of God. And even if you just happened off the street because you're wondering why people were walking into Yates Elementary School on a Sunday morning, even you have probably had some sort of exposure to the divine Word of God. And with that is the idea of broadcasting. But now, also within this idea, is that there are different receptivities to this seed, to this word of God. Will it have an effect in your life? Uh, I loved, again, what Casey shared earlier, and it, it really did hearken me back, and I'm sure a lot of you back, too, to many times having looked through the Bible only for it to have almost no effect. And as I look at these different soils, We'll, we'll look at them in turn as Jesus lays them out here. And of course, the first is this no effect gospel phenomenon. And that's the hardened heart. 
that's the seed that is sown along a path. The path is, is, is hard-packed ground. Seed's not finding any way down to germinate. And as a result, it's just out there for easy pickings, and at least the birds will be able to have a little bit of a meal on it. But in the end, nothing is left of the Word of God, only the barrenness and the hardness of our hearts. And sadly, that marked my walk in Christ, if you want to call it that, or my poser walk in Christ for 29 years of my life. Did I go to church? Sure, I went to church. I, there was no, I wasn't as sincere even as Casey was, as she shared. Uh, but at times, I, I kind of thought that I was. And again and again, as I'd read the Word of God, I'd kind of feel you know, s- somewhat interested in it. But often, this idea of Satan taking away the Word, it, it's interesting that in Mark's Gospel, it says, as soon as the Word is presented, it's snatched away by Satan. As soon as they hear, it's snatched away. What, what creates that? You know, in today's culture, it's more and more difficult to be able to help people be able to be receptive to the word of God because Satan has done a pretty good strategy here in shutting off from receptivity the, the word of God because skepticism has, has grown so large. And with and I didn't know, by the way, that Wikipedia was a verb. So thank you for, for, for uh, helping me know. But but by Wikipediaing. Uh, it's, it, it's quite, it's quite easy to kind of roll your own religion, so to speak, and put a little of this, a little of that, get it all together. And, and suddenly you are an enlightened philosopher of this age and you, you think pretty highly of yourself in, in the process of being able to do such a thing. Hey, you know, I, I think we've all maybe toyed with that idea. I know that I did for, for quite a while only to recognize that until I was able to humble myself to the Word of God, all of my personal philosophizing only made me arrogant and idiotic. And I hate to even have, if there were any tapes available, of hearing what I sounded like over any of those lunch conversations about my syncretism of putting together all of these diverse and amazingly insightful ideas that that had become the the principles of my life. But the hardened heart is... um, it is one that we could all become susceptible to because the philosophy of this age now rails against the gospel message. And there are a couple areas in particular that really preclude one from being able to receive the gospel quickly. The big one is that the message of Jesus is absolutely as intensely as possible an exclusive message. And nobody tends to like that in a postmodern age. Post, post-modernity is all about, ah, diversity. You know, I, I embrace all people, all things. I love all. Well, yes, I think, look at this group. Obviously, we love all. Ain't no doubt about the diversity of all of that. But while we need to be completely tolerant of all people, there is no way that we should be tolerant of all ideas. Especially ideas that set them up against, against uh, the knowledge of God. Uh, but, but that is the spirit of this age. Is that, you know what? The Quran is good for you. It seems to have disciplined your life. Amen for you on that. The Bible's good for you. Oh, I'm so glad. Some of the tenets of, of, of Judaism is, is, is working for you. And you, you seem to get greater depth of a sense of your soul. Oh, good for you. Oh, look at that. Look at, what, look at how Hindu has been kind of giving you peace. You know what? Well, good for you in all of that. And even as I say this, 
you feel a little bit uncomfortable right now. Even if you follow Jesus. Because what I'm about to say is, all of those things, if Jesus is true, all of those things that I mentioned are bunk. They are false. And the claims that they make, and especially any claims that they make that have anything to do with Jesus, are absolutely unfounded. And either Muhammad's right or Jesus is right. Muhammad says that, that Jesus didn't really die. Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. That's a rather narrow path. But it doesn't make you narrow-minded. Here's praying that you fought through and humbled yourself so that you weren't living on the arrogance of your own ideas, but that you fought through and surrendered yourself over to the, the very love of Christ. Now, is it fair for God to shut off all of those other things and say, it's only through my son? You know what? It would be bizarre if it were any other way. God gave his one and only son, whom he loved, to die a horrid death that was preceded by torture in the most visual, graphic, and humiliating way that we could begin to imagine, and all of that to get through to us that I really love you. And, and by the way, why so hard? Because I really hate your sin. Why so hard? Because I really love you. Why so excruciating? Because I know how easy it is for your heart to become callous and hard. And, and, and yes, I'm willing to go to these lengths. So if God is willing to go to those lengths with his one and only son whom he loves, think of anybody, I mean, uh, you know, think of it. And any of us here with our, with our own son, I mean, what an act, what more could God do? What more could he do? And having done all that I could imagine that he could do, and his ways are greater than my ways, of course, but having done all that he's done to be able to say, and by the way, this astounding kind of poof, blow your mind, love that I've just exhibited, that, by the way, is the way to grace and redemption. No other way. Is, is that so unfair for God to do so? And now here's the, the, the really wacky part. If there's another way, well then the fact that he sent his son to die is the most horrible thing I could ever begin to imagine. If there's any other way, then God wouldn't have established that way. Right? I mean, no, no, no doubt. I mean, if there's, if, if, if there's a way for Samantha to get into college without me sacrificing Caleb in a horrid, torturous death for her to get to college. If there's any other way out there, should I in any way begin to even imagine sacrificing Caleb because it'll help Samantha get to college? You'd think of me a monster. And then some. Well, of course then. For, for God to say, this is the only way, it's the only logical conclusion that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to him except, gets to the Father except through him. But that's, that's not the only thing that puts up the, the wall right away to folks. The, the other big one, to, to be honest, is the, the homosexual issue that, that is you know, in, in the headlines quite often. And what seems to be painted is that there's this one group of people that are countercultural, but are really tender-hearted and really embody love. And then there's this other group of people 
that are stern and closed-minded and spewing hate. And oddly, the Christians aren't in the group described as these counter-cultural people that are really soft-hearted and really loving intently. And how, how do you paint Christians any other way? Well, because there's so many examples of Christians that are, that are contrary to that very thing. Now, on the issue of homosexuality, of course the Bible gives us what is alignment with God's will and what is not alignment with God's will. And what is not is sin. And whether that's my wretched premarital sexcapades of, of trying to seduce co-eds in college or my, my ridiculous drunkenness or the scandalous behavior of my deceit and cheating through, through college, that, that's not like in any way positioned biblically any different from another type of, of immoral sexual behavior, which, which the Bible lists as, sec, as sexual morality, which is homosexual behavior. It, it's not like it has some sort of special place. All of it is transgression. All of us end up needing to be in a place where we align ourselves with the will of God. First, First Corinthians 6 says, Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? You can just listen, but I'm, I'm, if you go and take a note, it's verses 9 to 11. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I would have punched my bingo card with this verse. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know, with Jesus, there's reconciliation no matter where we come from. We don't just kind of sweep it under the rug or whitewash it and hope that we can kind of, you know, consider it a different way. No, we get to have it radically given to Jesus and forgiven of us and us set on an amazing path to be able to live in alignment with the will of God. I, I know that there's, there's plenty of things that are, that are rather difficult, but I think between the exclusivity, the, the homosexual issue, the, the big one really is hypocritical Christians. I think most people cite that as, as why they discount the Bible offhand or out of hand. And that everybody says they go by the Bible, but look at their lives. Now here it is, this, this person's reading the Bible, but I, I don't really see them surrendering over where they live for Christ rather than for self. When they drive, I don't see that. When they do their budget, if I can look at their budget, I don't see that. As they share their internet history, I don't see that. Instead of seeing born again, I see porn again. What is that? That kind of hypocrisy. How is that the power of God? How is that any way corroboration that the gospel is able to really transform us and bring us to an amazing spot? And, and sadly, and unnecessarily, that kind of, of absolutely corrupted Christianity becomes the standard bearer for society. And no wonder people look at the Bible with such skepticism. But I praise God 
that I happened upon people, even as many shared today in their own stories, that really helped me to have a, ra- I mean, a radical, radical shift in my life. Even in some of these things. I was a mess. I mean, a mess as you can imagine. Uh, I mean, every day of my life was, was, was filled with some sort of just debaucherous pornographic activity. And you know, on March 17th of 1993, when I repented and was baptized, that's the last time I've ever seen pornography. It's not like it's a parlor trick. It's the power of the gospel. The gospel's real. It's astounding. The gospel is real. And it really does have the power. If anybody had said that to me just a month earlier, still having my ridiculous frat boy attitude, I would have laughed them out of the room. Or to even say, because my my life was all about, you know, kind of the the, the conquering in a bar of of seduction. If they had ever said that, by the way, you're going to date a girl for almost two years... And the first time that you put a move on her to kiss her is going to be when the minister says, I now pronounce you man and wife, you may now kiss the bride. I would have been like, ah, yeah, right. Me? Come on. But that is exactly the path that that God allowed for for Deb and me. That was an awesome kiss, by the way. We have it on film if you ever want to come to our house and be bored to tears and watch our wedding video over and over and over again. Debbie won't even watch it anymore. It's like, how many anniversaries in a row do we have to watch this video? Well, it didn't help that the, the minister preached through the entire book of Ruth. Uh, for, for the, so there's a little bit of fast forwarding that goes on there. Um, now, there's, there's, one other, there's one other issue here, though, besides hypocritical Christian. And, and by the way, let me, let me ask you, if, you, if you sit here now and you have that sort of skepticism, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on the line right here. And I'm going to say, you know what? Among this fellowship, you're going to find the real deal. And, and if you would just be open enough to, re- to, to really see, does, does the Word of God have the power that it claims to have? Well, then I, I would ask you to spend some time, look at the Bible. If, if you're trapped in a cycle of pornography and trying to claim yourself a Christian and, and you don't know any way, you know, there, there's a way out. And if you just humble yourself enough and, and let your stinking pride you know, fall to the side, there's a path of freedom of emancipation that waits for you. If, if there's a kind of a flirtation that continues in the, in the office where, where you as a, a woman are, are trying to get self-validation, by, by what you wear or, or, or how you laugh at, at, at the guy's joke or what you suggest or how you text. And, and you know any way of it? I, I guarantee you, if you, if you sit down with it, you'll find a way that you can have that validation fully, so fully in Christ that any of that would seem absurd, an activity that you would engage in. You, you pick whatever it is, though, and, and I, I, will, I will actually really put it on the line here with everyone that you will see, you will see. And as Paul says, we shared with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. If you let us do that, I think you'll be able to see that there is more to the word of God than you may have as a presupposition. Well, secondly, is the shallow soil or the shallow heart. And this is where seed lands, grows up quick, but as soon as the heat of the sun hits it, that crop is like pansies that are, are quick to wilt in the sun. And in a shallow heart, it's, it's often characterized by superficiality and immaturity and impulsiveness. 
it's, it's often the idea that, oh my goodness, this is the greatest stuff I've ever seen. I can't wait. You know what? I want to go on missions. I want to go to India. I'm going to change the world. What do you know I'm going to go do? And, it, and it's all about the hype. And oftentimes, it's many times, it's about people, sadly. And, and once the people kind of give you the feedback, and maybe you don't get as much feedback, and then instead of getting positive feedback from everybody, now instead comes persecution, now comes trouble, now comes hardship, now comes sacrifice, suddenly that immaturity is going to catch up. But how do you get deeper roots in this? You don't just listen to the word, and you don't just talk big about the word of God, but day in and day out, you follow what James 1.22 says. Don't just listen to the word, do what it says. Day in and day out. I love to ask people, hey, what'd you read yesterday? And if they say, I don't know, it's often the case because as James 1.22 says, the person who re reads the word of God and does not do what it says is like a man who looks in the mirror and immediately walks away and forgets what he looks like. Yeah. So you're all thinking to yourselves, what did I read yesterday right now? <laughs> well, chances are if you read and you put it into practice, well, then you would know and you'd be excited to be able to share exactly what that was. But if that convicts you a little bit right now, well, then you know what? Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of redouble back to making sure that I have deep roots, that I'm going to get, get after um, the, the, the consideration of the Bible, the way that the Bible really does demand. But what this requires is, is not just your excitement, but your tenacity, that you're willing to make the sacrifice to endure a little bit of short-term pain for long-term bounty of being able to really stick to the will of God. And, and there'll be difficult things that come. Maybe it's going to be a kind of a romantic relationship that somehow gets askew because of the word of God. What are you going to choose? Kind of the, the ease of trying to stay in a tried and true relationship? Or are you going to be in alignment with the will of God? Or perhaps it's going to be family pressure because of the word of God. What, what's going to happen in, in those cases? There might be pressure in the workplace. Even if you're at a military base, that you know, so, oh, what am I going to do? Are you going to wilt or are you going to really stand firm with steel in your spine for the word of God? If you want that steel in the spine of your soul, it happens just one way. It's by not just reading the word of God and being excited by it. It's by reading the word of God day in, day after day, lunch pail Christianity, put it into practice. Pick something that convicts and something that you will do. Amen. Amen. Thirdly is the profane heart. Why do I say profane? Profane just means not holy. It just means worldly in some sort or another. And here it says it's the cares, the worries that are about us. In the uh, Matthew and uh, Mark's Gospels, it says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. What does that do? It chokes off the word and keeps you from being, the word used here is mature. Now that word, it's been coming up a lot lately in the last two, three services, to be mature, the Greek word is teleos. Teleos is the idea. Sometimes it's translated perfection, maturity, completion. I think a good way of, of understanding it is that God had a purposefulness about you. And that he has an intended destination in his purposefulness about you. You have a place where you're meant to be. You have a destiny to which you were reborn. Don't let that be cut short because of the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or the desire for other things. Who you're meant to be in Christ is glorious. Christ is meant to be formed in you. And 
the mature you in Jesus is, is someone that I think would cause you to have your jaw drop. You would be gobsmacked if you could really take a hard look at who you were really meant to be in Jesus Christ. But what do we trade in for that glorious person that we are meant to be in Jesus? Not of ourselves, but by aligning ourselves with the word of God and not allowing these other things to capture our fancy instead. Well, worry. Worry is a big one. What is worry? Worry is us thinking that we can take control. Worry is, is for us focusing on, on issues rather than allowing them to be entrusted to God. Worry, it is at its heart, is unfaithfulness to the Lord. How about the deceitfulness of wealth? Well, what, how does wealth choke us off from becoming who we're meant to be? This ultimate locate uh, ultimate destination of completion for us well because wealth is all about a false security god is all about security in him but wealth gives you a lie that you know what no if you pursue me wealth you're going to be even more secure than you are rather than really making this all about god and oftentimes you can know whether this is choking you off from your intended destination is if you are making decisions, big decisions in your life, more based on fear rather than faith. Maybe you've been unemployed for a little bit. You're like, oh, you know, circle of wagons, what are we going to do? And, and suddenly there's a job offer, but that job offer takes you away from a healthy fellowship. It isolates you. All things that Satan is happy to have done. What are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to go the path of security and the deceitfulness of wealth? Or are you going to decide, you know what? I, this sounds crazy, but I'm going to trust in Jesus on this one. I'm going to really allow making Jesus my first priority, as Matthew 6, says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you. What are all these other things? All these issues of what will I wear? What will I have? What, what, what money will I have? That's all the context of Matthew 6 in this. But if you really do decide it, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's give our all for Jesus and trust that he's going to work everything out. And I could trot up even right now or even have people pop up and share one after another after another. People have done exactly that and they could not believe the degree to which God has shaped their lives and also hooked them up with a security so much greater than they could have had out of a fearful clinging to a, a, a bit of a salary by sight rather than a security by faith that we have in God. The other thing is the desire for other things. Is, is there a boy out there that's more alluring than Jesus? Is there a girl out there? You know, as Chris shared during the communion, it was very vulnerable, thank you, that could take you off your path? That wasn't a time of maturity for Chris. Now is the time, praise God. But do you want to willingly, deliberately take yourself off of a path of maturity to kind of toy with some sort of flirtation out there? The other appetite that we have is not just for maybe romantic relationships, but it's for self-esteem. The very anti-God state of mind. How do you, how do you ruin great concepts like celebration and congratulation? And praise 
and focus. How do you ruin all of that? Just put self in front of it. Be self-focused, self-praise, self-congratulatory. And we're to no longer live for self, but for him who died for us and was raised again. But, but how do we, we, we want self-esteem. And so in our, in our desire for self-esteem, we then fill our life with so many things that are profane rather than holy, hoping that this will somehow get us to this point where we feel great about ourselves. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. So you will not perish, but have eternal life. Well, does that not validate you? Does that not astound you that you've been not only called, but chosen and now living a life in Christ? Is God not enough? You know, the most effective weapon to get you off of best in Christ is second best of something else in the world. Is there a second best that captures your imagination a bit more, quickens your step, lightens your eyes, causes you to kind of you know, be excited as you contemplate it? Compare that to what if that energy were put into Christ? What would happen then? What if your investment were in Christ? Your heart would be there also, Jesus promises in Matthew 6. Is, is exactly what would happen. And when, when we're able to clear out the thorns, when we're able to deepen the roots, then ultimately is the place where God wants us all to be, the place where we're all meant to be, and that is the fruitful heart. The good soil, noble soil, that receives the Word of God, embraces the Word of God, executes the Word of God, incorporates the Word of God, and sees the Word of God flourish through you as a simple vessel. My, my dream is when Deb and I have our 50th anniversary, is that we can do it in a grain field with a hundred times a crop in that grain field, glow, gleaming in the sun, blowing in the wind. But around us, at that celebration of, of 50 years, would be our kids and their life in Christ and their spouses, and their great reinforcement of, of Jesus calling our whole family higher. Not only that, but then all the people that we met and were helped to know the gospel, all the people that we served and to be able to see Jesus flourish in their lives. Not, and then the, the grandkids, of course, would be there as well. And, and their young excitement as they're off being able to share Jesus to their generation. That's who you're all meant to be. That is exactly the path that Jesus has in store for you. It is beautiful. It is glorious. And, it, and it's only a foretaste of the new earth and the new heaven that will bring all of that and then some. But do you want to trade in that beautiful scene as you sit content with your arm around your spouse? You think, oh my goodness, we're such a wreck. But how could we end up with all... Praise God that along the way we decided that we're not going to go off of our own arrogance. That we're going to allow the Bible to really be the standard. That any time that the Bible would in any way convict or redirect, that we'll be quick to respond. Not in any way thinking that we're so smart that we have a, a more uh, kind of cultured, enlightened path. But, but rather that the Word of God every single time would be the only thing that really does guide us. And I, I, let, me, let me beseech you all is that... This was a year where we said, let's make this the best year of our lives. And this is all we said is, and we trust that if we just do one thing, it'll be the best year of our lives. But I believe it'll be the best year of our lives that launches us 
towards what will be 50 years from now. I won't be alive, but you will. And, and as it launches us, here's, here's what I want to encourage you with, is that if you've gotten off path, I know we wanted this, and we thought the one thing that'll make this a great year is if we just read the Bible and put it into practice. Deliberately read the Bible. Not some sort of lazy, oh, let's see what that says. Oh, um, how, how about that? Um, I'm supposed to go hang myself. Uh, well, uh, maybe I'll try another one. Uh, Judas hanged himself. Happened upon it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but let me encourage you. Here's a small way that you can get back on track. Don't let the conviction of the Word of God in. And you know, oftentimes we try to give a practical at the end of a lesson. Well, I've got like as clear a practical with handouts, with check boxes uh, for, for us all. We put a lot of these out on Wednesday night. Let me encourage you. If you've gotten off of a path of, of maybe a, a higher um, goal of, of reading through the whole Bible, but if, just read through the New Testament. And, and again, this is a reading plan that has most of the New Testament. If you wanted to add Psalms, you could do that by reading a Psalm a day. If you wanted to add Proverbs, when you get to December 15th, you'll be done with the Psalms. Read two Proverbs a day, and, and you'll, you'll have completed all of the New Testament, all of the Psalms, all of the Proverbs. And it will only take you around five minutes a day to be able to, to do this kind of reading. And I'm not talking, you know, reading at the pace that, uh, you know, Caleb Anton reads at. He shames me, my son, at how fast he reads. But I'm saying just an out loud reading pace. That's all that it is. But let's not let this go by. We let it go by, I think, in the beginning of the year. Let's recommit. Let's do it as community. Let's make the Word of God our standard. Let's dig in intentionally, deliberately, not haphazardly. Let's put it into practice and let's see the great harvest that occurs in our own peace, in our own lives, and in our own effectiveness for Christ when we really become the soil waiting to receive the seed, the Word of God. Amen.